Hey guys, thanks for listening to The Watch. Today's episode features me and Andy talking about Thor Ragnarok. We also break down the last three episodes of Stranger Things Season 2, so that's Episodes 7, 8, and 9. And we wrap up that and we talk about the future of that show. We also talk about all the shows that are coming in the next few weeks and the ones that we're going to be talking about. A lot of really cool guests coming up. On last Thursday's show, we talked a lot about the Neptunes and the return of NERD. If you want to check it out, we will be tweeting out our Neptunes playlist on Spotify, so definitely... Definitely look for that. So today, Thor, Stranger Things, and in the future, a bunch of good stuff coming. So thanks for listening, Branskis. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you're currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities, so they work hard too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. All that, and they are shipped right to your door. And if you don't like the first pair, go ahead and keep it. They will still refund you, no questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first purchase using the promo code WATCH. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Stitcher. Game of Thrones fans, check out Stitcher Premium for over 30 hours of exclusive Game of Thrones content, including hardcore Game of Thrones, an addictive series that is one part mockumentary and one part satire. Listen along as comedian Alex Berg dives deep into the complicated history of Westeros. The Daily Dot called it an absolute must-listen for fans. Start listening now with a one-month free trial to Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcher.com premium and use promo code WATCH at checkout to get your free month. That's Stitcher.com slash premium. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me in the studio, he just bought Lakeside property in Asgard. It's Andy Greenwald! Boy, a show of extremes today, Chris. A show of extremes. (laughs) For you, for your takes. Yeah. Extreme take makeover. Yeah. Extreme takeover. Um, Andy, it's Monday. Happy November. Yeah. This has been November for a minute. Um, The final days of my 30s. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that today? How are you doing? (laughs) Not yet. But it just really, I wanted to just mention up front, we're going to talk today about Thor Ragnarok, Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about the last three episodes of Stranger Things. Before we got into Thor... I wasn't necessarily in like a sensitive place when I saw this movie, but I think you could say Thor. No, when I saw this movie, I'm going to tell you about. Oh, oh, you were using. I see. You're setting it up. I this weekend, mm-hmm. I went and saw Lady Bird. Oh, great! And we're not going to talk about it today because I really want you to see it. I but can't I, wait. I need to just like make a plea, mm-hmm. which is like to anybody listening to the sound of my voice, go see this movie. It is far and away my favorite movie of the year. Wow! It is such a like incredible accomplishment by Greta Gerwig who wrote and directed it and Saoirse Ronan is amazing in it Every, like Laurie Metcalf is incredible in it and just if you don't know it's about set in 2002 in Sacramento and it's about a Catholic schoolgirl um, who calls herself Lady Bird who wants to get the hell out of Northern California and go to the East Coast to go to a liberal arts college and it's her senior year of high school and it kind of follows her through the the academic year from 2002 to 2003 mm-hmm. and um, it is like very, very funny and incredibly touching. Hmm. And I, I was trying this, t- this take out on a couple of people. And when we, when we get okay. to it, I really want to talk about it. But if I could compare it to any movie okay, in both in terms of how it made me felt at the end, but mm-hmm. also it's very kind of got a lot, a lot of similarities is, uh, 25th hour. Wow. Yes. Uh, in terms of, I mean, 25th hour is a lot more like kind of like a, crime movie that get at the end turns into like a full-blown family drama this is a little bit more like a a really lovely like bombback comedy early mm-hmm. bombback comedy that then gets very just really resonant at the end but they have some similar themes about regret and wishing you could communicate with your parents better and uh it's just i cannot recommend it more highly i am so excited to see this film i have to ask you one question that i don't believe is a spoiler how much of the sensations of regret and loss and change have to do with the white chocolate Chris Webber era kings? <laughs> because when you say yeah. Sacramento 03... There's a lot of pager in this movie. Right. No. I am right there. I'm wearing purple. I'm wearing the purple and white. Right. And I'm just getting the game stolen from me by the Lakers. Yeah. Um, no, it's... it's. I don't, I don't know whether it's... I, I, everybody who I know who has seen it mm-hmm. has walked away feeling pretty similar. This is exciting. Yeah. So there, it's, it's, it's the real deal, man. There are a few things... 
as good and exciting as a good and exciting movie. Which is a good segue to Thor Ragnarok. Ragnarok. It's been a kind of a quiet time at the box office, kind of a quiet time at the movie multiplex, and then Thor comes through, and uh, everything about it is uh, perfect. Is is like kind of exactly what people want right now from a superhero movie. It doesn't yep. take itself too seriously. It has some great action set pieces. It is uh, full to the brim with humor, mm-hmm. uh, and it features some of the biggest and brightest Hollywood stars that we've got out there. Um, <laughs> Which side of the ball are you on? <laughs> Well, like, listen, listen, kids. So I have big stars in the picture. I want you to go first because you nothing, just walked out of the nothing movie Nothing glitters like Jeff Goldblum in blue lipstick. <laughs> that moves the needle at the box office. Guys, I, I, I adored this movie. I just walked out of it because you guys know Monday mornings at the Arclight. That's my bag. Um, this movie was pure pleasure for me. I think it is exactly what a comic book movie should be. I think that... Um, not just because, and we can talk about the hows and whys of this, but not just because it breaks from the tradition of either the you know the overly important or the overly destructive or violent or dark trend that has dominated a lot of the movies over the last decade. But what it has is that very, very specific mix of, yes, humor, but also righteous teenage wonder that is what attracts huh. things like, attracts people to stories like Thor, to the art of Jack Kirby or Walt Simons and all these other people who worked on Thor and made Thor cool, even though, you know, one of the arguments I'm hearing from a lot of people, including our friend and colleague Sean Fennessy, who has an absolutely terrific podcast interview with Thor's director, the big picture, yeah. Taika Waititi, um, he, he asked, he, he conf- they both copped to this, thinking we never liked Thor at all, even though maybe we liked comic books. Sure. Um, it works when you steer the absurdity meter up to 200 and it becomes something glorious. As soon as those first uh, notes of immigrant songs start playing, as soon as you see Tessa Thompson on a winged Pegasus about to hurl a sword at Kate Blanchett, right? Let's go. Yes, it is both ridiculous and glorious, and it has absolutely no shame in straddling that divide. And and in fact, not just straddling the divide. If I may, building a rainbow bridge between them. the Bifrost Bridge. Yeah, look. This movie was this 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 movie is pure pleasure, and I'm I'm blown away by it. I loved it. Okay, I didn't dislike the movie while I watched it. Okay, and I don't feel particularly strongly about not liking it. Okay, but I didn't particularly this, care for this. This movie. is a strong strong ground you're staking out for a podcast. I didn't. No, I mean, like what I'm saying is like you're not going to see yeah. me protesting outside the ArcLight for, because uh, of this, and okay. I'm not like trying to sap anybody's good time. Okay. But I didn't right. really like this movie very much. Okay, I feel like it was like a Pixar movie. Where it basically was wow. like four children, yeah. except for the jokes were for the parents who brought them there. Okay, interesting. So yeah. I kind of just thought it was pretty much nonsense. Uh, and a little bit like everybody involved was definitely like, we don't really like Thor, which is like fine. See, I disagree with that. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I just think like everything from the like, it's it was like a lot of it was about sort of being like, do we really want to make like the same old Thor movie? Which I don't think you should. When no. The first two movies were not particularly good. No. So even from like the cutting the hair, which I thought was like symbolically like a gesture of kind of like, this is not like the, the old movies. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're kind of updating this character. Shouts to Stan Lee for they finally gave him something to do. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought that it had a kind of the sense of humor was sort of like everybody in front of and behind the camera kind of thinks this is a joke. And that's fine, oh, yeah. but it's still there is like, it is part of a social contract between movie grower and filmmaker yeah. where you're like, yeah, yeah, you know, like I'm giving you this money because you believed in what you were making. And I, didn't, I don't know necessarily whether or not the narrative surrounding Taika Waititi's like involvement in the movie, which was sort of like, I don't really know anything about some of the superhero yeah. stuff. My job is to create a kind of atmosphere of absurd humor on the set. And it look, you know, it plays very improv, it plays very loose. I feel like a lot of the characters were really a little bit more like, what's the funny thing I can say here rather than anything relating to like my character. Now, that being said, I did. I also don't particularly enjoy the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two part, which is basically like people staring at each other and being like, "This is what friends and family do." No, is, you know, yeah. like there's like a couple of t- throwaway lines about like this is what heroes do in Thor, yeah, Ragnarok. But I don't know, man. And I, I think also like I might also, you know, I was talking with Sean you about this just before we went on. I think I, I immediately get a little bit like if somebody tells me something super funny, I'm just like, okay, like Prove how it. how funny is it? Yeah, you know. Um, 
but yeah, I, I just I think I felt like the ultimately if this movie was just uh, the Running Man on the prison planet, yeah, it would have been dope. But they get off Sakar and there's still like an hour to go, and they have to have like a like a fight with a wolf. As as Taika said in the interview with Sean, Tim, this movie is after hours with. Uh, with with gods that's cool you know that's, I think that's, a, that's hilarious. a great 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 Look, line but like it's still another I, hour i i think the thing of about, like carl urban's redemption i think the thing where where we are not connecting is that what the thing that i think taika does best in all of his work is that he he is completely in touch with just like mainlining a certain kind a deep and true and pure kind of love for the grandiose and the absurd mm-hmm. and the genre that exists in a certain type of kid, comic sure. book reading sure. kid, Star Wars action figure playing kid, the type of sensibility that has in many ways taken over our culture. The same sensibility that um, drives Stranger Things and drives Stranger Things fandom, even when among people who don't even think the show is particularly good. There is something that is that is very... I feel like you're foreshadowing. No, I, well, I, <laughs> I think people know. But I think he's very much in touch with that. Yeah. But I think what he's able to do is somehow build this castle on top of that sensation and have it be oh it is self-aware yeah but it is also i i use this word twice but it is also glorious you know there is something about it where yes i do want as much as i you know i i like um deconstructions of things you know i i think if we're talking about comic books i'd probably rather talk about a grant morrison comic at this point in my yeah. life you know but is there still a part of me somewhere underneath all the layers of uh of permafrost and jaded critic whatever that wants to see the Hulk punch a giant hell wolf? Yeah. I guess I kind of do. Sure. And to see it brought to life in that way, just just the not just the, the Hulk punch it, but Tessa Thompson dressed as a Valkyrie with a space machine gun shooting it. Yes. Yeah. Give me more of this and give me genuine affection the, the, while we're doing the, it. The, the, I got a little bit numb to that by the end of the movie. It's yeah. just like a long movie to be that stupid. Well... See, I just didn't think it was stupid. I also thought, I, I did feel cheated on one score, which is that when we were talking about this off of the trailer, we were like, the rumor is this movie is 85 minutes. Yeah. Wh- where do we hear that? I don't know. <laughs> it's not. It's two hours long. You know, It's uh, like a long two as well. But I didn't think so because there, there's, something, there's something pure here. Like one of the things that we often have said uh, in talking about these big movies is that one of the key to doing them is you hire um, Shakespearean actors. Mm-hmm. Because Shakespearean actors, whether it's Lord of the Rings or whether it's a Marvel movie um, or, or or what have you, Shakespearean actors can sell bullshit by the pound. Mm-hmm. They can make it feel important. It's the same thing they for can, Thrones. Like you make Stephen Delane do Stannis' it, dialogue, it's it, all of a sudden exactly. it's like poetry. Yeah. But here's something that we have a culture as a culture have mostly forgotten, which is when we say Shakespearean trained, it means they are trained to do drama and comedy and to delight equally in both. Mm-hmm. And so... Going into the movie, I was like, well, how did they, how much money did they offer Anthony Hopkins to do this movie again? And then I see him in <laughs> the that shots first scene. Of like Norway, quote unquote. Those are actually just Anthony Hopkins' house. That's his property. <laughs> yeah, that's, he's that's, like, I let you shoot here now. <laughs> the scene where he is Loki as him. Well, can I ask you a quick Wait, question? I just want to finish the thought. He's, he's having so much fun. Yeah. And it's so funny to see him have fun, despite, you know, after basically not suffering because he gets paid to do it. Yeah. But to be hired for his gravitas for two movies and then just gets to be like, a, f- a funny crank eating grapes in a in a nightgown. Like, I have no doubt that everybody involved had a blast. Yeah. It seems like they did. I'm especially a big fan of Anthony Hopkins's um, Odin is dead now outfit, which was just like <laughs> yeah. a linen suit that he happened to be wearing. <laughs> yeah, in Norway. Um, but when Kate Blanchett's like, "Well, why did you do this movie?" and she's like, "I wanted to make something that my kids would be psyched about." Yeah. I think that's cool. I just don't care. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's not like a motivating factor for me to go see a movie is because it's just like it's just not in my in my wheelhouse. And it seemed like nobody really like if there's no urgency and it's not even that particularly connected to the rest of the MCU, which God knows like yeah. I could do a little bit less with the MCU. Sure, sure. But it it almost felt like why didn't like so could the collective power of the people involved in this movie not have gotten something else made that was like really funny and had nothing to do with a Bifrost bridge or Asgard or well, Sharda or whatever like the sure, demon but like, is if not to be the, the the Marvel defender but like that's one of the beauties of the comic books is that you can tell different types yeah. of stories within the same shared universe in different artistic perspectives um, 
you know, I, 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 this movie does not need a, um, I don't think does not need a, uh, a straw man or a punching bag to compare it to, but they ran the Justice League trailer in front of it. Yeah. And I'm oh, sitting yeah. here watching that trailer and I'm like, this movie is is death. It is literally the death of my visual <laughs> mainframe. It's just like space bugs and Jason Momoa grunting. And yeah. it is so abhorrent on so many levels. And then to me, the worst part of it isn't just the cynicism of it or the desperation of it or, or whatever. The worst part of it is Affleck being like, that's not how the saying goes. That's not it at all. <laughs> because they because Joss Whedon came in to do like to yeah. marvel it up a little bit. Yeah. And it's so cynical and inert, you know, and just and to me, this movie, it it sounded to me like you were describing that kind of thing when you were describing Thor, the sort of jokes just to have jokes to have on top of jokes with nothing beneath them. To me, this movie was just suffused with life, like it was suffused with real passion and real excitement and real fun. Is it when we talk about Lady Bird in a week, am I going to be doing callbacks to Ragnarok? <laughs> I promise you not. Like I can separate those sure. parts of my brain, but this is... It, it, it's surprising, and I, and I and maybe it's because I just saw it, and maybe because it does, maybe because I I did, and to it's some degree, do still love it's comic like a, books. It's but, like a fun movie. I like I I definitely get it. No, but I, there's and there's I think a, a lot strain. of it has to do with like the neon explosive color and of the it. Mark Mothersbaugh score, yeah, which is yeah. dope. Don't, to, totally, there is a strain of quote unquote criticism that exists in the 21st century, often online, that I consider to be my my um, my own personal giant hell wolf. <laughs> Yeah. And it's basically when people look at things and their response is this, what could be bad? You know, it's like right. people just tweet like the Lion King cast. Shoot it into my veins. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, well, you're not. No. Like, like <laughs> we have a semi responsibility to be thinking sentient sure. people here and like engage with something. And it's just so reductive when they're like when, when, when things get praised just solely for the construction or whatever nostalgic itch it happens to scratch. That said, maybe as I'm talking about it, that's that's what I'm doing here. Maybe I'm not immune to it. It's just so a cotton candy after a while just makes me sick. You know what I mean? And it, for it, sure. And it it was it I'm not knocking like the the witticisms of it or like the general vibe of it. Rachel House is great. Taika's voicing the rock revolutionary gladiator it's is really great. funny. I, Wait, what about can we talk about the goddess Tessa Thompson? I have a and, few a few notes I, I'd like to give up. Yeah. I just want to say this. Here are the people who should be upset about this movie. Wait, I definitely have a few of these people. <laughs> okay, let's add to this list. Here are the people who should be saltiest. The people behind Westworld. No, 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 wait. Okay. So Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy <laughs> should look at this movie and look at Tessa Thompson in this movie and think about what they used her for and what they did to her in season one of Westworld and they should be ashamed. Okay. They should look at how they used Anthony Hopkins and look at how he was used in this movie. Because Tessa Thompson is so 100 in this movie. She is so funny. She's got a great accent. Who knew? Didn't need to have an accent, but I guess Valkyries have English accents. Sure, yeah. Um, and there are these moments when she's on screen with with Hemsworth and Hiddleston and, and Ruffalo, and she's just owning it. It's delightful. Yeah. I want to talk to uh, Idris Elba's agent. Okay. And yeah. talk about like the nine movie deal you signed in 2009. I know. <laughs> I know. Or whatever it was when they were like, I'm sure they had a vision for this character, but the fact that my guy needs to get on like, you know, the plane to come shoot like huddling as guardian refugees yeah. into a mountainside and then being like where to with contact lenses in I know. It's like, this dude should be james bond i know stop wasting him there, there is some element of this where i think that weirdly the pendulum has shifted from people being like get me in a marvel movie to actually on this one they probably just sent taika and he was just like will you come play in my movie sure. and people were like okay yeah um, There's a couple of shots even, even of him Urban. where I'm like, is Idris in the same room as everybody else probably, who's in this scene? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, even Carl Urban, like, it's <laughs> it's a it's a bizarre turn for a dude, you know, who's who's bones McCoy in the Star yeah, Trek right. movies. But at the same time, he's from New Zealand too, and I and he's out in the front lines of the press, being like, Taika got to make a Taika movie, and I wanted to hang with him. It's it's definitely like I'm happy for everybody involved. I want to talk a little bit about. Um, so there's this scene when. Kate Blanchett is hella. She first shows up in mm -hmm. Asgard again, mm -hmm. and she goes into that room where the Bifrost bridge is, yeah. and she kills those other guys yeah. around Carl Urban. And it's like... Um, the guys who were nominally the co-stars so you know of the previous film? Zachary Levi is one of them? Yeah. And like that was like, he's got a character? Yeah. And, and Kevin Feige was like, it was a noble death for that beloved character? And I was like, what? Yeah, those guys got sunned. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know he was in this. For real, you know, like 
what's her name? Jamie Alexander is just thanking God for the for Blind Spot's rigorous filming schedule, so she didn't have to get on the, the Feige jet to Australia just to be knifed by Kate Blanchett. Um, yeah, that was a pretty. I mean, it's a pretty rugged. Like this, none of this is working, including these quote unquote beloved characters. Yeah. So they are like the Warriors Three. Like if you like Thor, do they get killed in actual Thor comics? No, oh, everyone damn. loves them. Damn. Let me tell you something else. Asgard doesn't generally get burned to the ground I by see a, a list of people foot. who were like. You know, when they were in like Iron Man 2 and they were like, I really think when they do Infinity War in 12 years, that's when I come through. And it's just like, hey, Mickey Rourke. So we're going to have to. (laughs) No, but what's his name? Um, What's his name? Frank. What's his name? Frank Grillo. Crossbow. Like, you know, he was. They told him like, oh, you're coming back for for whatever it was. The Ultron one. Yeah. He was probably like bet. Like, that's cool. (laughs) I've heard like I've got really got a vision for the crossbones backstory yeah. and they're like no you're just gonna rob something in the first five minutes yeah. and then that's it for you it's a wrap um, it, 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 all of what we're saying does speak to the secret sauce for success of these marvel movies which is they have found a way to minimize commitment yeah to an extreme degree now this movie filmed in australia uh which is not convenient to many people but it is to chris hemsworth it sure. is to Kate blanchett um you know, they have the studios in Atlanta going 24-7 so people can drop in and drop out. And often we think about people being in this movie like Jeff Goldblum was hilarious, wonderful, loved yeah. it when he's in the movie. How much screen time is it? Like how much of a commitment Apparently was it for him to be Apparently he did like there? a 25-minute improvised speech on set. Great. Um, give, me, give me that. I also should be careful what I wish for because I have the feeling like, you know, one of the nice things about this movie is that even though there's a lot of like Hella stuff and there's a lot of Asgard stuff, it is for the most part like they're in mid-flight already. You don't have to do a lot of origin story stuff. Yep, that's very important. Uh, I get the feeling like that is about to change soon because we'll have all of these new characters being introduced and then we're going to have to do the heavy lifting of 85 people in two and two Avengers movies. Well, they're all people we know. So I don't think a Marvel movie will feel this light and breezy for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this, the thing that, make, would make the most, that makes the most sense, I do think, for their continued success going forward is to allow the standalone movies to be standalone movies. And they, they had that going for a while. They've gotten away from it a little bit. Um, And then they had that weird, it's not, I mean, it's not weird. It's a formula that works, but the idea of like, well, we want to reintroduce Spider-Man for the third time in a decade. So we need, Tony Stark to fly around a little bit mm-hmm. too, just to sort of be the connective tissue. But I don't you know mentioned Spider Man Homecoming, that. and I actually think that that movie had, like, the humor of that movie was more baked into the story and yeah. baked into, like, the characters and, like, the actual. I, I love that movie. And I mean, no shade at it when I say this is a movie about a thunder god yeah. with a giant hammer who runs around on a rainbow bridge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, sure. Like, in the, in the comics, there was just an arc where Thor lost his hammer and was riding around on a dimension hopping goat. <laughs> Like this, there is there is some fun to be had here in this world. If should you choose to accept, it's it. wild that this is just what pop culture is now. That's I guess what I'm saying. I would rather <laughs> it be this that understood understood the fun of it, the fun of it, and and you know the those those very like Frank Frazetta esque like tableaus that this movie flashed uh-huh. back to. There was consideration to it. Sure, there, there was some aesthetic sensibility. I don't want to make it sound like it's Neighbors it. too. It was yeah. definitely like more wealth. I just thought it was like a little like. Do you guys really want to be doing this? It was funny, though. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we will be back to talk about the last three episodes of Stranger Things. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Hotel Tonight. I want to take a second to tell you about this great app. Hotel Tonight helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These are not last resort places. I've used this app many times over the 2017 calendar year, and I have enjoyed every spot, man. They are actually cool, top-rated hotels that you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take for a while. Or if you're the type of person who likes to plan ahead and have things locked down, you can actually book a hotel room in advance with Hotel Tonight up to seven days everywhere and up to 100 days in advance in certain major cities. Whether you need a room for tonight, tomorrow or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. Because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can actually book in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Today's episode of The Watch is also brought to you by Upside. If you travel for business, you know it is a game of wins and losses. 
Having a short wait to get through security, that's a win. Forgetting about the bottle of water in your briefcase so you have to go through security line again, that is a loss. Buying your business trip at Upside.com, well, that's not just a win, it's a triple win. Number one is Upside has great prices for flights, hotels, and rental cars. Win number two is that Upside will reward you with a gift card to places like Amazon.com every time you buy a business trip. And win number three is the amazing six-star treatment you'll get from Upside's customer service specialist, who they call Navigators. One recent Upside customer had a flight canceled, and while he was rebooking his flight, a Navigator contacted the hotel and had them change his check-in day without charging any fees. That's pretty nice, right? And that's just one example of how Upside Navigators go above and beyond for business travelers. Imagine what they can do for you. Upside Navigators are instantly accessible 24-7 by voice, chat, email, or message on the Upside app, and they reach out to you with useful info to help you avoid a problem before it happens. And I'm going to start your Upside six-star treatment right now. Go to Upside.com and use our code WATCH, and you will get a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com. What a website. That's code WATCH for a minimum $100 gift card to Amazon.com when you buy your next business trip at Upside.com. Upside.com, you deserve a better business trip. Minimum purchase required. See site for complete details. We're back. Let's talk a little bit about these last few episodes of Stranger Things, mm-hmm. episodes 70 and 9, Andy. And um, I am f- continue to be fascinated by the conversation around Stranger Things because precisely because the first season was such like a great slow burn word of mouth phenomenon uh-huh. that was like they're there, but very few people watched it all at once. The first day it, it came it, out, it really first weekend it came added out. added to the charm of the experience because it was so unlike a lot of the way Netflix shows uh, operate. And I was actually, we were in a meeting earlier today with uh, none other than Bill Simmons, host of The Rewatchables. Uh-huh. It's his most notable achievement. And um, he was talking about how he thought like Netflix kind of screwed this up because what they should have done is release three at a time, like Handmaid's Tale, like a couple at mm-hmm. a time. And that there would have been a lot more conversation around the episodes if that had happened i take his point yeah but i think that if that had been the case the reaction to seven the seventh episode called the sister right lost sister lost sister would have been that much more passionately against it sure i think the fact that it is hidden among the season and you can kind of take it or leave it and then as soon as it's over you can get back to hawkins didn't if that had been a standalone episode that people were like it's Stranger Things is on on Thursday. Yeah. People would have been pissed. People should be pissed now. People should be in the streets over this episode, man. Like, not really. But no, I, mean, I, I will say this. It is hard to remember a more... Um, it's hard to remember a worse episode, standalone episode, of an otherwise decent show. Yeah. And I don't mean decent to be insulting. I mean that Stranger Things regardless of how you feel about it, generally maintains a certain level of quality. Um, This episode is a disaster from start to finish. I think from maybe not conception, but certainly execution. And it lies there like a certain something in a swimming pool in Caddyshack in the middle of the season to a degree that is really surprising. Now, to your point, despite how negative I am about that episode, and as people know by now, the season as a whole, there was something about it that I almost appreciated because sure. it's a little bit like... Shoot your shot, right? Yeah. There's a little bit like, oh, someone's alive in there, you right. know? And I don't like what they're showing me, but oh, okay. You know, they were maybe feeling themselves or they were feeling, you know, that, that this was what they needed to tell. And this is also evidence of the, all at once, the strengths and limitations of Netflix because only Netflix, I think, would have given the Duffer Brothers the room to run that they did, that they did in the first season. And probably only Netflix would have been like, and what's your what's your um your overview for uh, two oh seven? Oh, really? Oh, you you want to make the most? You want to oh, make remake the legend of Billie Jean? Yes. in Chicago. You want right. to make people go back to the Quincy punk episode right. and be like, well, that was a more uh, understanding <laughs> representation of a subculture in the seventies and eighties than this was. Sure, go for it. You know, a couple of interesting things have come out about this episode. There has been, I was going to say, there has been a press pushed by the Duffers, but it's actually like one interview that has been aggregated a million times Mm -hmm. um, because of how divisive Seven is. But they're just basically like, we wanted to challenge ourselves. Um, There was that, 
But we've mentioned a couple of times the slight strain you can kind of feel on the writing process in this mm-hmm. season of them kind of speeding up to slow down in places. And the fact that this isn't Chekhov's sister, that Callie doesn't come back in the last two episodes, mm-hmm. is definitely like a sign that this was, we tried it out, we didn't quite think it worked, we're not going to bring her back in this season. Now, obviously, this is about bigger world building the future of this show is probably outside of Hawkins for as much as Hawkins is this show. Right. I think that they're going to have to start thinking about the ramifications of like, if there is a secret program with 11, at least 11 kids, mm-hmm. where are the other 10? Mm-hmm. Right. And we found one of them. But I thought that the way they talked about this episode, the idea of it being almost like a weird backdoor pilot of something else from the Stranger Things universe. And also that this needed to happen for Eleven's storyline to have her come back. And all that stuff about it was very telling about the um, environment that this season must have been created in. Okay, yeah. So while I didn't enjoy it per se, I think I am one of those people who watched it in the flow of uh-huh. the last few episodes of the season. I think I watched this season in two two chunks. And so it kind of is like a bad episode of 24 where you're like, oh my god, this was like a yeah, and, and, and like a, a really long episode of, with the daughter, and then there's some Jack stuff. This was, I was like, I see what's what's going on here, and I see what they were trying to do, and I don't even know what about it is that bad, other than everything. You know what I mean? It's not like any one of the performances is bad. No, it's just it's just so it's it's bizarrely tone deaf and so um, adjacent to anything of interest to most people. You know, th- th- there's. There, there's a, there are a lot of examples in beloved shows where, and, and this actually ties into something I said last week too about the need creators have to show their work, and even a little bit to our conversation about Thor and how all the heavy lifting was done by the first two movies, even if no one liked them, so that Taika Waititi could come in and just ignore all that and just build sure. a story. Um, this feeling that we have to put this character through this gauntlet in order for her to become the character we need her to be later in the plot. So right. you're going to take this medicine and we're going to go on this journey with her, even though nobody wants this, you know? And, right. and, and I do think that there ought to be someone in the room of the creative process being like, if nobody wants it, then nobody wants it. Even if, if, even if you don't want it, you know, then you don't need to be doing it. Yeah, like what, don't do what us is any the end favors. point you're trying to get the, to? Is it to get Eleven a makeover and show her that she can lift a truck? That she's the Incredible Hulk. Right. That anger fuels her, right. basically. Um the idea of creators challenging themselves is worthwhile, and even on shows that are among the greatest of all time, there are plenty of examples of people sure. um, stepping outside of their comfort zone to the show's detriment. Any time on The Sopranos, for example, that we would go home with Dr. Melfi, and then she and her colleagues would be sit- would be sitting around a dinner table talking about NPR in like the most weird perform like um, abject performance mm-hmm. of um, suburban. Um, upper middle class liberal whatever that was you know intentionally placed against uh, Tony's world but sure. it felt so totally out of place and out of whack so there's plenty of examples of that but t- to me it's just it, it's just further proof that this season now that I've seen the whole thing just needed a radical rethink from the ground up wait so, wait what story are you guys telling wait what is really working what do you want to do here I, because all of the things that worked you could talk about how sequels just basically tell the same story again but louder i wish in this case because if you if you really like having watched all of it drill down and, and think about where everyone was at any point and what the what what the threat was this year mm-hmm. none of it really makes any sense or adds to any there, there was no well they couldn't commit to the bit because the threat was yes. will like the threat was exactly. always going the threat was will it was right there they tease it the spy is probably the best episode of the season the idea that like will could be possessed by this darkness and that and might have to be sacrificed you know, and, and to defeat I, it i am so, i'm somebody who's just like so in the bag for the charm of these kids mm-hmm. and for the comfort food feeling of this world that like all the upside down stuff all the hawkins national like laboratory stuff just any of it it just really doesn't matter to me i i think i am reacting to this the way you reacted to Thor which is like you're like it's a friggin Pegasus jumping over a rainbow bridge I'm like man it's the 80s and the police are playing like I'm just kind of fine with that except except this this season felt so claustrophobic by pulling the characters apart yes the town of Hawkins was not a character in this season and I do think that they I think that they basically got to the ledge and they were like uh no but once without knowing anything about the process of the of the how they made this show Mm -hmm. wrote this show the stuff about Will and the fact that they have talked about like Will was supposed to maybe kill someone this season. Yeah. 
is like, that's the darkness. That's the Empire Strikes Back Temple of Doom thing that you guys wanted. And that was the thing that you were going to confront viewers on. But they obviously just felt like you can't bring Will back from that. And if that's the case, then you basically run out of room. They, and you have to yeah. then just like backpedal and you can get Will turns good again by just using a lot of heat lamps. Yeah, they just sweated yeah. him out. And then he got to dance with the girl we've never seen before in the end. Look, they punted. I think you're exactly right. Um, and if you th- and it gives me a lot of concern about the success of the show going forward, because what is the threat? What is the enemy? Now, you can tell me the threat is a giant eight legged you know, nightmare monster from another dimension that wants to come to our dimension because that's what evil mm-hmm. creatures do. Right. I don't care about that, really. What you care about, what we care about, is when there is a, a villain, there's a face, there's a desire. There's nothing here except just evil heebie-jeebies coming out of the walls and out of the ground right now, yeah. unless Will becomes the face of it. Right. And so by stripping that away, I don't know what we're up against anymore because we've also neutralized the, the bad men doing the bad things. I mean, I guess, Modine, I guess Modine's just waiting on that third season check because <laughs> yeah. he's still floating around and yeah. that's obviously still out there. But you know, we talked about last week, the thing, the problem with the spy episode was that they're all red shirts that get killed. Now, shouts to Sean Astin, yeah. who literally was the McBain's partner of the season. <laughs> and, but, but, but because my faith in the Duffers was so shaken leading up to that episode, to that moment when he goes, I was like, they're not even going to be able to do this because they've fallen in love with him too. Sure. Right. And, and that was a bummer to me. It, it, there are flickers of life. There's flickers in this season that remind me of what was so compelling and enjoyable about the first season. Sometimes they feel like they almost happen by accident, like like Billy flirting with a certain actress, a certain actress whom you and I adore, a certain actress whom you and I think has been woefully underserved this season. Are you talking about Bono, though? I'm always talking about Bono, though. <laughs> I got that Bono follow, what though. What about Bono? Can she take a bath without being interrupted? Look, she looked lovely in her silk robe. I know we all want Calgon to take her away. She wants Calgon and her agents to take her away. Thank probably you to everybody point. who tweeted me like literally nine hours into yeah. Stranger Things being available, being like, what about Bono, though? <laughs> like, I thought she was going to die. Yeah, no. Yeah. But in that scene, all of a sudden you're like, oh, OK, here's here's this character, Billy, who makes no sense, serves no purpose. And in many ways, that scene with his dad where they're humanizing him I or like whatever. I like to think that in the same way that Lindelof is like, I yeah. made the beginning of Leftover Season 2 for Andy, that yeah. they made that scene in Stranger Things for me. That's a beautiful, beautiful <laughs> thought. I appreciate that. But it, it's just, to me, it's just a sign of like, and, and then we, and we can, I think we should change the conversation to like what else, what can be done going forward and what the show yeah. might turn into. But there are, there are just these little, the show was frustrating to me because of, not just the goodwill, but because of the good decision-making in one season. And people don't become worse storytellers or worse filmmakers. I really do think, and we have no information to back this up other than the show, that the time constraints, the pressure, seem to be, in this case, maybe impossible, maybe enormous. It would be a good sign if Stranger Things 3 is announced as 2019. Well, yeah, but then you're going to get a bunch of kids with bad mustaches. But already, I don't know if like Finn Wolfhard had a lot of like commitments to it, but Mike wasn't on the show this year. Well, this year. is the thing. We've talked sh- about this before. And if we, if it sounds like we're like, belie- I, I think we both want a lot from the show. I get yeah. more from it than Andy does, obviously. It is a fascinating thing where it it is sitting right in the center between this art and commerce debate that we're always having. Not especially in the way that we are processing television now by its delivery system. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this idea of do you go deeper or do you go wider? Mm-hmm. Obviously, this show is a... It is a huge, huge hit. It might be the biggest hit in the history of Netflix. Mm-mm. It's not. It's not. Okay. It does very well, but from everything I've gathered, there there are other shows that do a lot better. Okay. That being that being said, yeah. it is a pop culture phenomenon. It does. It's in in the sh- the, the shows that I, I that I've heard that do better don't get the same kind of breathless coverage Narcos. in the media. That's one of them. Uh, it's, I'm pretty breathless for that show. Uh. It sits right at this nexus between like art and commerce in terms of like they've got to get these as many seasons out of these kids while they're still cute. Mm-hmm. It's you can't just like let it go for three years and bring it back uh, and do the late high school years. And that's going to that's going to put a lot of pressure on that's them. A good point. So they're introducing people like Max and they're introducing Billy and they're introducing Callie. And it's like, well, why aren't you just spending more time with Mike, who is probably the most interesting character of the year because he turned it into a kind of an asshole, you know, yeah. and like that this whole it, experience. What if this whole experience did the unthinkable, which is make one of these kids not cute? Yeah. And also like the Mike and Eleven thing is really has emotional weight. Absolutely. And it was buried. 
this season. She is the ultimate girlfriend at camp. Like, it's great to watch. Like, that's an incredibly interesting relationship. And there was no time or room for them to even have more than a tacit conversation. As soon as they see each other again, the Duffers pull Mike into a room with Hopper and then have this over-the-top, like, you all right, I learned it by watching you emotional breakdown where he hugs him until he's hitting him until he's hugging him. That didn't feel right. That just felt like something that was created in the room and then didn't play. Just certain other choices, like the character of Max, that actress was, was good. I liked the dynamic of adding her to the group. But we got nothing about her other than she is the literally the dream girl of boys like that who skateboards and plays video games and has cute nicknames for them but makes out with them anyway. Her brother got an emotional backstory in that scene with the abusive father. She doesn't get, Max doesn't get any backstory. Yeah. She's just like, oh, word, you have demons in this town? Let's go. I like Dig Dug. Let's fight. Let's yeah. roll. I want to, let's play Dr. Quinn television doctor. Nope. Love it, but nope. (laughs) What do we do to fix this show for you? Okay. So do you invest more in fewer characters? I think you need to leave Hawkins. I I, I mean this seriously. I, I think they need to take, take a beat. Now, obviously, I think you make a really strong point. For any number of reasons, they are not going to have a, n- a long break between seasons. Um, and in fact, all this advice is probably moot because whether it's been officially renewed or not, that room has probably been going for quite oh, yeah. some time. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're doing four seasons. That's the, that's the line. That's the word? Yeah. Um, but I do think they need to do the kind of conversation that can be very, very hard to have for a show, particularly a successful show, particularly a show caught in the very breathless cycle of production in the 21st century, which is let's really take a moment let's leave our writer's room let's go on a retreat well i don't know let's let's, let's let's go to chipotle let's take a break i don't know <laughs> do people like taco bowl i don't know i'm trying to like put myself into the head of a duffer brother yeah. I, and i'm not sure which one um and ask what is the show about R- really okay not, so what's shows, a, what is shows a, don't do this what is enough. the best version of the show about to you what i'm afraid of oh the best version of the show to me is growing up in an innocent time and learning the world is not innocent mm-hmm. and there's danger in the world and finding something, you know, finding a way towards good, finding a way towards community within that. Right. Um, what worries me is, and this is often the case that when things get noisier or more things get added onto it, that what the show is about to the people making it is the upside down, is scary things that go bump in the night or slither or whatever. So for me, and, and, the and, show and, is about Steve reclaiming his rightful place as king of the town. Steve didn't even get a coda. All these other characters get these like sweet moments at the dance. Where's Steve at? He's healing from his broken face. <laughs> Un- unreal. Is Billy the, catching a charge for that? The unfairness of <laughs> Steve's life. I agree. Steve. Okay, Christoph Krzyzlowski. The unfairness of Steve's life. That's the best version of season three of Stranger Things. The Decalogue of Steve. No, it's like, it's like Copland. Yeah. But with yeah. like fat old Steve <laughs> moving slowly through the town that he used to run. You blew it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That would you be the, the best version of You were the king of the town it. and you blew it. You had the nice hair. Like... These are the matchups. These are the mix. The mashups you could only get if you listen to this podcast. But no, but I mean it. I I I really mean this genuinely because having made it through the second season, the parts that I thought were most compelling in the first season, everything about the experiments and Eleven and the room, the flashbacks and Modine, you know, and this idea of there is a there's a there's a scary evil out there and you don't know what it is. Let's can we go back to some of that? Because honestly, if you if you look at the second season and you just break it down into its pieces. No one was ever challenged. That nothing was ever difficult. Now Bob might argue the alternative to that. Yes, but they had the they talk about having a coda. But every, they were like, did you know yeah, Bob's dead? Did you know, did you know that hell beasts are currently <laughs> gnawing on Bob, like fucking corn on the cob? Um, the every plan they had worked. They yeah. rescued Hopper just in time. They yeah. set the thing on fire when they needed to. They. They literally cranked the thermostat up on the, pro, on the well, they didn't have Nest then, but they just turned up the heat lamps and the demon was gone. They took an elevator to hell and an Eleven had a flashback and sealed a hell mouth. I thought that was pretty dope. I mean, it looked cool, but what? Why is everything easy? Why can she do this? Do you yeah. know what I mean? It just, at, at that point, I didn't even know what I was looking at because I didn't know why. I didn't know why. So... To me, and, I, and I'm curious, I, I know people don't like hearing me criticize it, so I will stop now. But I, I do wonder if now that more people have caught up or if they hadn't already been. There are times when it, you and I have disagreed on a show and I think that you're being unfair. I do not think you're being unfair to the show. And, and I do think that generally people, I think people probably, the majority of the opinion is somewhere in, in between us. Where I think that people would admit that they love this and they want this to be better and that they were disappointed in the season. Also, recency bias is just like every breath you take at a school dance is like going to 
just get a lot of points with me. I just really well, me too. You I, know what I mean? Like I just I can't help who I am. It's beautiful. <laughs> At the end of the day, I enjoyed the last scene. Yeah. I enjoyed a show, and one of the reasons why I like the I, I I like and root for the Duffer Brothers is because they are in the same way I was talking about Taika White, uh, Taika Waititi being in touch with that sort of youthful, innocent fandom. The Duffer Brothers get an unvarnished sweetness for of nostalgia and of being a teenager, and so the kindness that Nancy shows to Dustin resonates. Yeah. The of when Mike sees Eleven come in, it's like okay, this, these are these are real. Un, that's that uncut. This raw is exactly what you were saying. Which is like, why do they divide and conquer these kids? Like, put them all in a gym together, play the police, like let them have fun in a room together. And I, don't, who knows what the reasons were, like what Millie Bobby Brown's Godzilla shooting schedule meant. She could or couldn't be. Is that what she's doing? Yeah, she is. By the way. She's Boy, great. She's a really good she's actor. Great. All right, we should wrap it up. So, I want to talk a little bit about the shows that we're going to be moving on to now that we've got yeah, Stranger because, Things out of the way. And by the way, people have asked us this, like, what had the belt? And by the way, I appreciate your commitment to our completely arbitrary bit that we do and we don't do enough of. The reason we didn't talk about it, I think, or at least I didn't, is because clearly Stranger Things has the belt in the cultural sense. I was just very, I was sort of grudgingly yeah. holding it back. I think back you can make because, an argument, like, you can make, if that's, if that's the case, then... It's. I think that the the idea of the belt is really like a fifty fifty like our critical acclaim versus like what people are talking about. Right. Um. Because if it was just the latter, then I guess the good doctor would have the belt, and if it was the former, then the deuce. Yeah, the deuce would have the belt. But you know, I think Mindhunter kind of splits the difference. But mm-hmm. it, one of the problems with like Netflix is that I don't know when people are watching these things, and mm-hmm. I don't know. You can just tell these shows just don't get written about and talked about in the same way as like an HBO show. And it's precisely because nobody is ever on the same thing. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in a bar or a dinner or mm-hmm. something over the last month where it's like, start talking about Mindhunter and stop. Because somebody's like, oh, I've only seen three, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe they'll finish it. Maybe they won't. But that's not the same thing as obviously Thrones has a lot of other things going for it besides that. But it's not the same thing as Big Little Lies. Where it was like, oh, did you see the last episode? Oh my god, I have to talk it, to you. It's about an it. interesting conversation within the industry too, because I have to think that creators who have spent—I mean, we talked to Jonathan Groff—they spent ten months shooting Mindhunter. Yeah. That on some level, they're a little frustrated or bummed that the conversation can't continue, or the whether it's purely for ego validation purposes or it's just to feel. You know that you're part of something. The question is whether anybody it, outside of people like you and me care. Well, about no, this. I, but I'm saying I do think that I'm I'm curious not not for fans because fan, it doesn't matter. You get the content, but I'm saying creatively, if anyone will begin to steer their business, not they're not going to steer their business elsewhere. Here's what I was going to say: Everybody wants to sell this show to Netflix because Netflix says, "Here's the money, go make your show. Mm-hmm. We will make it." Mm-hmm. You know, we don't pilot stuff. There's no notes. Apparently not, because we all saw episode seven of Stranger Things <laughs> season two. Um, Go make it. That's all you want. And then at the end of it, I wonder if there's a little bit of a bittersweet feeling because you aren't getting that that hit. You're sort of missing. You, know, you think, oh, here's your here's your golden ticket to the whatever age we're in of television. We get to be part of it the same way the great shows of the last decade got to be part of it. But then it's kind of not the same thing. Yeah, you are just, you know, uh, Jonathan Groff and, and Holt McElhaney are going to go back to Pittsburgh for ten more months and make another season of Mindhunter. Then they might make another one after that. And they're doing incredible work. And I hope everyone watches it. But it's on some level, I wonder if it bugs people the way but it does seem to bug me clearly that all that work, they are shoveling more content. It just seems into like it's net, a shame if there's into, so much in, talent in television right now to not have it properly appreciated. And, it's all, but in, in, and they're doing all that work for Netflix's uh, share price. Sure. Okay. Uh, which is, yeah. you know, I'm sure it's doing great, by the way. <laughs> uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about a couple of shows in the coming weeks. So I, we just wanted to like kind of yeah. lay out the, the menu here. Uh, at various points over the coming weeks, we'll be talking about Sh- Smilf, which is a show- Showtime show. Not just talking about it. On Thursday's show, I believe, barring um, barring insult or injury, we will have the creator, star, writer, sometimes director, Frankie Shaw. Fantastic. Um, I'm really impressed by Smilf. You can watch the the, the pilot. I think it's on YouTube, too. Um, it is a show that the, the logline, like Single Mom in Southie, you think could be done in a variety of horrible ways and it's done with real personality, real specificity. It's really good. Okay, so we're also going to be talking about Godless, which is a show from Scott Frank and Steven Soderbergh on Netflix. It is a Western about a town of women in the 19th century fighting off like outlaws. What's the last time Scott Frank and Steven Soderbergh collaborated? What was the name of that? (laughs) Was that out of sight? Yeah. Yeah, that was out of sight. Uh, Scott Frank also made an amazing movie called The Lookout that if you haven't gotten a chance to check that out, you should definitely 
Jeff definitely see that. We hope to talk to him on the pod. We're gonna do a Mr. Robot check-in. Um, Marvelous, yeah, guys, watch watch Mr. Robot this week. Yeah, I can I can tell you that. Marvelous Mrs. Maisel comes back on Amazon soon. Yeah, and we're also gonna talk about girlfriend experience and hopefully have Amy Simons on the show. Yeah, because we. You were way out ahead of me on Girlfriend Experience. and Remarkable show. And our friend Sam Esmail was talking it up. And yeah. I was I didn't catch up to it. And then I did finally watch it. Yeah. It's really, really a fascinating and well-done show. Yeah. And by all accounts, the second season is even more interesting because it went from being um, – it was sort of a half-hour drama, which I'm all in on. But it was a, a, a one-and-done season following um, one character. And this season, because it's a show made by two – distinct filmmakers, Lodge Kerrigan and Amy Simons, they apparently made two distinct shows, yep. um, which is, which is, you know, with two different stars, two different stars. And I, you know, I'm excited anytime someone messes with the format and tries to give us something a little bit different or changes pace with what we're expecting, because there's so much is the same. And these are really interesting filmmakers who they're not on Netflix or on stars, but appear to have been given carte blanche. So yeah. It's so cool. we're really excited about a bunch of the shows coming up. We'll obviously have, uh, Megan Abbott back on to talk about Queenpin, which yeah, is the who's, next. Who's reading Queenpin out there? And when Megan comes back on, we'll probably hit the end of Mindhunter because she was tweeting today about how what a big fan she was of the show, especially the end. So we'll we'll get back to Mindhunter eventually. Look at us watching TV, talking about it. It's we'll like 2013 some, in here. We'll have some other surprises next week. Um, yeah, man, good to see you. Great to see you. Great to see all my Bransky friends. Out Go there. see Ladybird. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Hotel Tonight. Things change, the weather changes, your mood definitely changes. So why lock yourself into plans that might change? With Hotel Tonight, you don't have to because you'll get incredible deals on awesome hotels even at the last minute. Booking on Hotel Tonight gives you the freedom and flexibility to play things by ear while knowing that you'll score a great price and a great place to stay. Or if you're the type who likes to plan ahead and get things locked down, you can actually book a room in advance with Hotel Tonight. Up to seven days in advance everywhere up to 100 days in certain major cities. Whether you need a room for tonight, tomorrow, or beyond, you definitely want to download the Hotel Tonight app. So download that app, Hotel Tonight, to find some seriously amazing deals now. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Mack Weldon. With a smart design, premium fabrics, and a simple shopping experience, Mack Weldon underwear is definitely better than whatever you are currently wearing. In addition to looking and feeling great, all Mack Weldon products are crafted with natural fibers that have built-in performance capabilities so that they work hard too. They even have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor, all that, and they are shipped right to your door. If you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your purchase using promo code WATCH.